If you want to dress up as a piece of toast and run down the street yelling and screaming, you could do that in Sydney all day long. Uh, If you want to dress up as a piece of toast and run through the main street of Charters Towers, uh, you may get bashed and also you're probably going to end up on the front page of the local rag or the local newspaper. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker, we're going to dig into regional marketplaces. Should we be investing in those areas or avoid them like the plague? Hey, it's going to be a great topic, a great show. Welcome aboard. If it's your first time tuning in, play the show in double speed, get your life back. And of course, all the episodes I've done are episodes or lessons on real estate. So dart about if you're new, go back, listen to past episodes and make sure you leave a review. Hey, you crazy urban property investors, I tell you what, today we're going to be regional property investors. And here's a little interesting fact about my history as a property investor. I was a regional property investor. Yes, this podcast could easily be called the regional property investor. However, I learned over the years that it is much better to be an urban property investor. But when I look back on my career as an investor, I've bought in some wacky places. Uh, I've owned real estate in Moree, which of course is famous for its artesian spring baths for people suffering arthritis. Uh, I've bought in Port Hedland, which is basically uh, a town that looks like dirt. It looks like iron ore. I've bought in Casino, which is a lovely stop on the way between Brisbane and Melbourne, or sorry, Brisbane and Sydney on the train line. Uh, Is not much more happening there. Uh, I've owned real estate in Boulder, which is uh, a strange little place indeed. I've owned real estate in Kalgoorlie, which again is an inland place within Australia, famous for gold mining. And I tell you what, if you want to see the biggest uh, can of Tui's anywhere in Australia, then you need to go to Cobar, of which once I was an investor. However, I learned over the years that small regional towns do not pay dividends. Of course, back in the day, buying real estate in those marketplaces was uh, a thing because you would get high rental returns versus the purchase price. And when I'm referring to being a regional property investor back in the day, it was all about buying inexpensive properties with big rents. And of course, that's one of the attractions of regional communities, affordability versus the rental return. But is it all what it's cracked up to be? And of course, we use the words regional real estate quite often quite loosely here in Australia because we do have some major, really successful regional cities which people can move to. Places like Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong, Newcastle, these are all really good marketplaces 
to be a property investor in, and one would argue you aren't even being a regional property investor. You are fundamentally following some of the urban guidelines, but buying in what is known as a regional marketplace in Australia. So today, do I own regional property? Yes, I do. I own two in Newcastle. It's considered a regional city. It's a cracking city. It's done great from a capital growth perspective. And through a family trust structure, uh, I own real estate in Mudgee. Yes, Mudgee. Mudgee is a a beautiful place, uh, a quick drive from Sydney, about a three-hour drive from Sydney. It's all about wines, vines, and good times. So I tell you what... um, there is some regional real estate in my own portfolio. And I think uh, looking back on my history as a real estate uh, investor and researcher, I think I've almost done deals in just about every place in Australia. I mean, I've done some wacky deals. Carafa. Has anyone been to Carafa? Derby. Cooper Pedy. Once I tried to broker a cave in Cooper Pedy. Uh, I've done deals in Ingham. I've done deals in uh, strange, strange places, folks. Yes. I, in fact, this show could be labeled the strange property investor. So I went regional. I went strange. And then I came into the urban world and my life has never been the same since. So I tell you what. I love to teach some models and uh, as you guys know, I think if you're going to end up financially free, you've got to choose some models to work within. Uh, Models are blueprints to financial success. Obviously, to replace your income from real estate, you're going to need rents and some of the best rents today are in urban areas. Some of the best Uh, yields out in the marketplace can often be found in regional areas, but actually the best dollar figures for rents can often be found in urban areas. And when you think about it, most people I speak to want $100,000 passive income from real estate. Uh, Some places in urban areas are renting for $1,500 a week, uh, $75,000. So of course, uh, The idea of building a plan is important. As you guys know, I teach some models. Uh, Some of the distinct models I teach when it comes to real estate investment is the urban behavioral economy, the idea that we want to invest where we can live, work and play. I teach uh, the pyramid of livability, which is how movement impacts property as an investment. I uh, teach the idea of mission fit places. It's a model based around people, the planet, the performance of an area, the positivity of an area, the governance of an area, and how the area works. Is it a 24-hour area or is, is, it, is it a a stagnant area or is it a sleepy area? Also teach the principle of the model 20-minute living and how important that is today. And these are all spatial 
distribution models. These are how people want to live. They want to live in 20-minute neighbourhoods. They want to live, work, play today. They want to be able to move and connect to things. And, of course, they need mission-fit economies to often achieve what that looks like when it comes to their economic well-being from jobs. And, of course, over and above that, I teach the Forex Growth Plan. I also teach something which... I refer to as the five cities plan or five properties in five cities. If we want to replace our income, we're going to need a few properties. We're going to need to be able to diversify to have assets in various marketplaces to play this game called real estate. And of course, Australia has uh, a huge landmass, right? We've massive continent you know, we're basically the size of the USA, but very different when it comes to how the landscape and environment works in Australia. If you overlay a map of America over Australia, it looks pretty similar in size. But what you'll notice with America is there is a massive river that goes down uh, the middle of the country called the Mississippi River. And of course, this allows for cities across the entire continent to exist. And Hence why America is a very populated place with many diverse cities that uh, are of various sizes and scale. Here in Australia, though, we are not blessed with a river running through the centre of our continent. We have a desert. As such, most of the land in Australia, something like 94% of it, cannot actually be lived in. It's not fit for human consumption. And of course, this leads us to having very remote, large cities. And of course, today we have five cities, over a million people, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide. These are kind of our core cities, if you like. And of course, if you can property invest in those cities, you're going to do very well because they already have history, the consensus of People liking those places is not in dispute. They have a mission-fit future. Uh, Adelaide today is the world's like most livable city. Uh, Melbourne's consistently up there. Brisbane has recently run won the uh, the Olympic Games. I mean, these are amazing, amazing feats that are an attraction magnet. But of course, uh, these cities, if you like can also uh, come with the challenge of being uh, a little bit pricey for just about every property investor. But do they fundamentally have the best uh, fundamentals? Of course they do. They absolutely do when they when it comes to growth, cash flow, but also those fundamentals which I talked about last episode, these are the places which are, irrefutably the safest areas to invest in. Now, I always like the idea we got to move our money to somewhere. Uh, you can have uh, a, a tickle when it comes to real estate in a few places. Obviously, you're going to move your money somewhere. Global cities, Melbourne and Sydney, we've got two. Uh, Sydney today, particularly Alpha Sydney, you, you won't be able to invest in. Melbourne uh, is possible. Alpha Sydney today, around the harbour, you know, within 20 kilometres to the city, you know, it's millions of dollars to play the game. Uh, Melbourne, there are pockets 
affordable and livable places to invest. And I love finding them. I think Melbourne's got a lot of opportunity um, as a property investor. Brisbane, again, it has become uh, pricier over the last two to three years as we've had this spatial transformation boom. Uh, Perth, very good value at the moment. And then we've got uh, some of our more primate cities, our capital cities. So we've got two global cities, two new world cities, Brisbane and Perth. They're evolving. They're um, really attracting different types of businesses. Uh, Brisbane's attracted the Olympic Games. And then we've got our capital cities, Adelaide, of course, capital of South Australia, over a million people, and other really great cities to invest in, things like Hobart and Canberra or places like Hobart and Canberra make a lot of sense. Then we can go down to what I would refer to as very positive regional communities. Places like Wollongong is considered regional, Geelong considered regional, Bendigo, Newcastle, even the Gold Coast is considered a regional place when it comes to investment. And I tell you what, they feed off the major cities connected to them. The Gold Coast feeds off Brisbane, 51% of jobs are in Brisbane. Um, it feeds off it. And today, because of movement, that mobility model that I've talked about, the pyramid of livability, today you can easily work in Brisbane and live on the Gold Coast. Wasn't always the case. Things have improved. And of course, that connection works. Newcastle, it's an hour and a half from Sydney. It's interlinked. The economies are interlinked. In fact, the new Sydney plan is actually... Uh, town plan which includes Newcastle. So there you go. Things are improving over time. There is going to be more connection. So if we want to move our money to marketplaces, I, in simple terms, love global cities, Melbourne and Sydney, New World cities, Brisbane and Perth, primate cities or capital cities, Hobart, Adelaide, Canberra, for example. And then these drivable, commutable, feeder towns or cities uh, that are around, Toowoomba, Wollongong, Geelong, Bendigo, Newcastle, the Gold Coast, they all make sense to me because they're fundamentally, their economy is interlinked with a much larger economy and it sort of makes a lot of sense from a pyramid of livability concept. And of course, uh, as I alluded to, uh, I was the regional property investor buying in small towns. And some of these small towns are just not great places to own real estate. Uh, small towns, for example, Broken Hill. Uh, I mean, even the name says it's broken. Uh, Kulgadi, WeWar. I mean, you know, the lifestyle of living in WeWall is, is not great. You know, you're... If you're at home, you're at home. There's not much at the local shops and really uh, the major towns to go and have some fun at are pretty far away. So again, like the idea of buying a cheap property for a rental return, been there, done that, don't do it, move on with your life. Uh, when it comes to growth though, obviously of recent time, you know, there's been a lot of statistical information around regionals doing well, uh, more so, more so in property value growth than even cities. And definitely when we consider breaking down regionals, we've probably uh, 
sometimes don't realise that some major cities in Australia by Australian standards, remember Australia is not like America, it's got very, very few places which are heavily populated. Uh, you know, two out of three Victorians, 70% of Victorians live in Melbourne. Um, so regional marketplaces have a much smaller aggregate size and of course, this can create different levels of volatility. You know, you take a thousand people, put them into a town of, uh, you know, 30,000 people, that aggregate moves that market quite heavily. And of course, that'll impact property values and of course, impact uh, rental returns. However, if you take a thousand people out of those aggregate size marketplaces, you also get the exact same problem but in reverse and of course I think uh, what we want when it comes to property investment is this really stable place where the foundations of property investment actually work. So analyzing marketplaces we need to use a model and the model I choose when it comes to a macro market is the six market drivers. They are demographics, supply and demand, yields, infrastructure, population movement, and jobs. Six market drivers. I'll say it again. Demographics, supply and demand, yield, infrastructure, population, and jobs. Now, as I just pointed out, you put more people in some of these towns or cities you're going to get a volatility movement. You take people away, you're going to get a volatility movement. When it comes to major uh, cities where there's, say, more than two, three, four hundred thousand people, moving, uh, you know, a thousand people here or there doesn't really show a massive impact to the marketplace. And we saw that in recent times. Even Melbourne obviously had its borders shut. New immigrants couldn't move there. Um, people couldn't come from overseas to study inside the university-rich city of Melbourne. And, of course, uh, its regional migration unfolded. Um, you know, people left the city. I think something like 20,000, 30,000 people moved on from Victoria during the pandemic. Um, and it still got capital growth. It actually got 12%. It wasn't the highest capital growth, but the fundamentals of that marketplace kind of prove the aggregate size matters. Aggregate matters. The size of an economy absolutely matters. So uh, when we think about, um, I guess, some of the regional places in Australia today, you know, you really probably start with our first regional city. So you've got the big five, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, all over a million people. The Gold Coast is on its way to becoming the sixth area, which is considered uh, populated by over a million people. But it's our first regional city. Uh, Newcastle, it's... Uh, a big place these days. I love it. I love Newcastle. I think it's great. Considered regional. Uh, obviously, Canberra is our next biggest city, but is not considered regional. Uh, Wollongong uh, is considered regional. Obviously, Wollongong is basically Sydney now. It's it's it's, it's you know um, you know again. Sometimes I struggle with the word regional because I'm like Wollongong, man. It's like you know 
it's, it's not regional. Let's face it. Sunshine Coast, is it really regional? Um, you know, so there are some, uh, I guess, other types of places that exist which have you know, a sizable population where you've got to then make a decision, is the aggregate size big enough? I mean, Coffs Harbour, you know, uh, 50,000 people. Wagga Wagga, a big inland city, 59,000 people. Uh, Bunbury in Western Australia, 70,000 people. Bundaberg, Bundaberg beer, some Bundy rum, 70,000 people. And again, like, uh, I would probably start at the other end of the scale than going to, you know, um, Coffs Harbour, right? And again, like, if you can afford to buy in a Melbourne or a Newcastle or a Canberra or a Geelong or a Hobart, um, you know, there's more uh, aggregate size than, for example, Coffs Harbour. And it may be that Coffs Harbour's got a better deal at the moment or it's got a better, you know, short-term capital growth rate. But you've got to look at also the trade-off with that is when things slow up is the long-term fundamentals of some of the more scalable marketplaces actually a better investment opportunity. Now, when it comes to the bigger the city is, really the more diversity is. And diversity is is important in society. Uh, if you want to dress up as a piece of toast and run down the street yelling and screaming, you could do that in Sydney all day long. Uh, if you want to dress up as a piece of toast and run through the main street of Charters Towers, uh, you may get bashed. And also, you're probably going to end up on the front page of the local rag or the local newspaper. So uh, again, like this is, this is, comes back to sort of how people want to live their life. And I think one of the things we need to explain here is scale equals diversity and diversity for many people is very important to their overall lifestyle choice if you like so you know you go to tokyo and there's you know 40 million people it is one of the most diverse weirdest places on earth like you can see some strange stuff like people think they're robots uh you know the yarajuka girls or whatever they're called you know uh, grown women dressing like they're you know four years old um you know, it's weird, right? But that's diversity. That's that's how it works. The bigger the scale, the more diverse uh, these type of um, big places become, right? And so when we think about how money works as well, like we all pay tax and if there's more taxpayers in a certain place, it's going to obviously get rewarded with better infrastructure. So it comes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And of course, you know, um, you know, there's quite often the argument from North Queenslanders that they should start their own state because South Queenslanders get all of the tax money spent in places like Southeast Queensland, Gold Coast and Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast. Not enough money you know, is developed in uh, Mount Isa, for example. No one's spending enough money in Mount Isa, which, by the way, is Australia's biggest 
landmass when it comes to a city. Yes, Mount Isa is big. Uh, it's not populated, but it's big. So from a local government area, it is, I believe it is the biggest in Australia. Think about that, right? And so it all comes back to this concept that there are drivers in real estate. And a lot of these drivers then relate to how uh, taxes work, where money needs to be spent. And of course, from a property investor's point of view, once you're locked out of scalable cities, it's very hard to get back in. You know, I bought three properties in Sydney, in Alpha Sydney, um, you know, 20 years ago, let's call it, um, uh, yeah, well, 15 to 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, I couldn't afford to buy them today. They, they Like the same properties I, I couldn't afford to actually own. And so what happens is this idea of extreme real estate. And today, you know, Sydney is one of the alpha cities of the world. Owning real estate in the alpha city, if you like, you get this extreme value concept where really there's plenty of people on the world, but there is actually a scarcity of really prime, amenity-rich, efficient places. Now, two out of three uh, people in Australia live in our capital cities. Uh, One out of three lives in regional cities. So our population obviously is near on 26 million people. And of course, when you think about the future of marketplaces, they need to have a growing population base. And of course, when you look at some simple statistics, it's easy to understand Sydney's going to become a 10 million person city, owning real estate in some of the best suburbs closest to the harbour of that city, even though the market is declining at the moment, in the long term is going to work out for everyone involved in owning real estate in Alpha City. So will regionals continue to grow? Will the population continue to excel expectations? Will people also uh, pile into many regional marketplaces? And of course, it's a big question. It's obviously a bit of a crystal ball conversation, but I think we need to understand also how Australia works. Australia's biggest companies, if you like, are connected to mining or the fire economy. So when we look at the United States, uh, some of the biggest companies over there are actually tech-based companies or uh, companies which are, um, yeah, which are pretty innovative. You know, you look at their biggest company, it's Apple, then Microsoft, then Amazon, then Google, then Facebook. So there's a lot of digital uh, knowledge work going on inside of certainly the American marketplace. When we look at Australia though, um, our biggest companies, BHP, National Australia Bank, part of the fire economy, uh, will be located in major cities like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Commonwealth Bank, Next biggest uh, company, basically. Same deal, uh, CSL, Westpac. I mean, our uh, our biggest companies are banks. This is how our market works. We are a financial services space when it comes to our biggest companies, albeit mining companies. 
and agriculture. So I'll go through the list. BHP is the biggest, National Australia Bank, then Com, then CSL, then Westpac, then ANZ. Atlassian, which is a uh, digital company um, based in Sydney. Fortescue Metals, obviously a mining company in Western Australia. West Farmers, which is a, a grain company. I've got shares with West Farmers. Go West Farmers. And then uh, Macquarie, which is an investment bank, right? So when we think about fire economics, it's just that the uh, finance companies, being banks and finance companies, insurers, and big real estate organizations really control uh, Australia's economic output when it comes to major, major companies. And of course, a lot of them are connected to the urban world. So we can't lose sight of that. When we go down to further down in the layer and examine Australia's prosperity, how it's based, the real bedrock is small businesses, entrepreneurs. And uh, today there are around 1.5 million uh, fundamentally sole traders. These are contractors. They might run an electrical company, a carpentry company, a coffee shop. Uh, they are small business at work. And it's amazing to think that Australia is really built off the back of small business as much as our big fire engine companies. When it comes to large companies, there's only around 4,000 companies with over 200 uh, team members. Medium companies, there's 57,000 uh, companies which have a workforce between 20 and 200. And actually, uh, the company that I've built sits in the medium scale with 57,000 other companies. It has a workforce between 20 and 200. So we got to understand there's a, obviously there's a lot over one, uh, call it actually around 2.5 million uh, businesses that are basically individuals to 20 people. And a lot of these companies obviously are connected very much to urban economics. When we look at the future of where jobs are going to be created, it's very much uh, a science that future jobs are going to be connected to healthcare, social assistance, professional services, sciences and tech. These are the big growing places. And really one of the reasons I love finding real estate around education and medical precincts is because the future is very bright when it comes to those types of jobs. Now, of recent times, we've had the great millennial upgrade. Yes, spatial transformation. Millennials have reached uh, an age where they have all had to go and have kids. And of course, what this has meant is that their consumer behavior has changed and they've needed to find properties to raise their children in. And of course, when we examine uh, when this hit, this coincided with the pandemic. So the low rates, millennials borrowing money, upgrading their housing needs to include another bedroom, a small backyard, a courtyard, uh, you know, buying a townhouse or a house 
has been one of the reasons why we've seen such a reshaping in values. And this also pertains to regional marketplaces. Today, people have moved regional because many of the millennials are in their period of their life cycle of upgrading. However, this is not going to last forever. In fact, uh, there's we're probably basically uh, halfway through that process. So it's got about another two, two and a half years to run. And then in theory, the millennials have basically gone through their upgrading phase. And so a lot of the regional marketplaces, if you like, have been led by millennials going to find um, affordable housing options, which is great, which is awesome. You know, everyone wants to live the great Australian dream. Will this signify uh, um, a different place into the future for regionals? Well, not necessarily so. And I think we need to, again, define good regional and weird regional when it comes to how real estate works. And of course, I like to bring it back to how humans behave. And I kind of like to label marketplaces, uh, Netflix marketplaces, local living marketplaces, or hitting town marketplaces. Now think about what we do, right? On the weekend. Um, You know, if we live in a place where there is nothing in the local suburb, then we're probably going to watch Netflix. If we live in a place where there's nothing in the local suburb and there's no major awesome uh, cultural centre to go to, then it's we live in a Netflix community. We War is a Netflix community. There is nothing to do. You probably can't even get Netflix because the internet's so crap. Um, so we need to understand if we're going to go regional, like we, we want to be able to have this pyramid of of mobility which uh, I talked about and also the idea of the urban behavioral economy we want live work play because if we're going to choose somewhere to invest we want to know that the person living there yeah can chill out in a nice place and watch Netflix but also the local community is pretty awesome so they can go down to the local shops and do some local things, do some local gymming, Pilates, walk the dog, all that kind of stuff. But also within a reasonable time frame, they can be in a pretty pumping uh, cultural place to enjoy themselves. Bars, cafes, restaurants, uh, art galleries, you name it, it can be done. Now, again, I've invested in Newcastle. It's a regional city. Uh, I've invested in a 20-minute neighbourhood. Same theory just not a capital city, a regional city. Within 20 minutes, I can be at lovely beaches, or not me, my tenants. They can be within 20 minutes on the beach. They can be within 20 minutes in the great city nightlife of Newcastle. They can stay home and watch Netflix if they want. And the local community shops is just great. So it makes sense, right? you know, we need to understand when we're property investors, it's actually about people first. It's not um, a game of us and, you know, what we can afford and that looks pretty good. So this brings me to the point 
about regional marketplaces. There are really liquid regional real estate marketplaces and what I would call illiquid real estate uh, marketplaces when it comes to regional. Illiquid places are really small regional towns, dying towns, uh, you know, small towns off the beaten track. When you think about what it would be like to live there, it's Netflix. There's nothing to do. People leave those places because they are not magnets for their future. Obviously, there are some more scalable regional uh, town centres, places like Coffs Harbour. There's 50,000 people there. Again, from a perspective of what that looks like, are people staying? Are people going? Is it a place where people just go to die? What is going on with that local community? These are some of the conversations we need to ask because when things go to sleep, when markets stall, is your real estate actually illiquid? Meaning, illiquid just fundamentally means it can't sell. There is no market for it. There is no resale market for it. There isn't enough people interested in the real estate whatsoever. Obviously, you don't generally have illiquid problems when it comes to real estate investment in bigger places. Liquid cities, if you like, are world cities, uh, Melbourne, Brisbane, new world cities. I mean, everyone wants Brisbane, Perth. These are great places to live, right? Uh, then you've got your capital cities, Adelaide, um, you know, Hobart, Canberra, um, no problem. There's, there's no issue. And of course, the great feeder cities. And I think when it comes to regional, if you are thinking of regional, I would start with the feeder cities. I think they're the best bet for um, good price versus reward versus a liquid market. Geelong, it's a great place. Newcastle, it's a great place. Gold Coast. These all make sense when it comes to how spatial distribution works, that mobility concept, right? So again, like when we look into regional Australia, remember Australia is a massive arid landmass. There is literally desert everywhere and some things are becoming dysfunctional. How Australia was formed, it was formed basically around rivers because obviously you would create uh, trade upriver and you would send it downriver out to sea. And of course, in the early 1800s, many towns sprung up around river communities. And today that doesn't necessarily make a lot of economical sense to be a regional investor in those places because they're not protected. So when we think about policies to format some uh, buying behavior when it comes to thinking about regional places. The first one is the society. You know, again, like is the society, society can you run down the street and be a piece of toast? You, if you're going to get bashed running down the street being a piece of toast, like the society behind the formation may actually not be ready for I think, the future of where the world's headed. Society is a big part of the puzzle, right? Is society functioning? Is society um, going places? Is it a Netflix society, right? Is there things to do? 
the economy, which is jobs, and we'll talk about how important jobs are to regional economies because they're important to all economies, but certainly there are some one-horse town economies you do not want to put your money into. And then we have the environment, and the environment is becoming a bigger topic with inside real estate. It's something I've been telling people about for years. Uh, you know, today it would be argued that you – Lismore would be the most illiquid market in Australia. No one in their right mind would be buying a property in Lismore. Uh, even the New South Wales Premier has come out and said, well, maybe they're going to have to buy back half of Lismore because it shouldn't exist. And, uh, you know, what that does to a real estate marketplace is, I mean, it is cactus, right? I can't imagine. I mean, I'm going to go on after this and have a look at uh, if things are selling in Lismore. I can't imagine they would be because it's ha- it like soon as torrential rain hits the east coast of Australia, I mean, the place fundamentally seems to flood constantly. Ever since I've been alive, I've always remembered Lismore floods, whether it's a little flood or a big flood. And again, like the way Australia was built up, you know, some of these inland river systems should shouldn't have the size of population they do today. And so when it comes to the environmental impact, obviously Sydney, uh, you know, the government will fight tooth and nail to protect it because it's too big to fail. Brisbane, even though it's got a river, it's too big to fail. Melbourne, too big to fail. Uh, Newcastle, too big to fail. Geelong, too big to fail. So we want to make sure that from a society, economy and environment perspective, we are too big to fail. So again, we've got these illiquid marketplaces, little weird um, areas where you you probably don't want to invest in. Um, your mores of the world. And I can tell you, the smaller the community, it's actually a bit of a con job because the cost to own real estate there is disproportionate to uh, often what you pay for real estate. Like owning real estate, for example, in Moree, the property management fees were much higher. They were like 10%. Um, You had this kind of, I don't know if anyone remembers Dukes of Hazard, but the boss hog effect, I call it. Uh, basically, your real estate that you owned is in some sort of localized monopoly where you just have to put up with how things work. And, you know, the mayor of the, the city kind of thing, the boss hog, if you like, just tells it how it is. This is what we're charging. So repairs disproportionately high, um, obviously, to get parts, to get materials. It's, it's all extra living in these regional places. Building, it's extra. It costs more. It can cost $100,000 more to build in regional places, to upgrade your properties in regional places. Um, and so on paper, from a glance, it might look cheap, but when you actually do the real maths of future capital costs, repairs, maintenance, ongoing uh, costs to run the real estate, it can be fool's gold. And again, um, I became the urban property investor by being the crazy regional property investor. So these are my tips when it comes to going regional. Uh, The first tip is 
Population figures can be a little bit misleading. You'll see, you know, obviously massive charts floating around in real estate. You know, 20,000 people move here and 10,000 people move there. But are those people actually sticky? Are they going to stay? And are they going to raise a family in these places? This is very, very important. And as I alluded to, I got caught out with this once before. If you listen to last episode, one of the big uh, con- uh, things that went wrong in many regional places was people went to an area but never actually stayed more than a couple of years and never created roots Roots are obviously important and there are some places, again, regionally speaking, where the roots are irrefutable. They are putting roots in the grounds. Families are getting started. I'm looking at uh, some deals up in Newcastle at the moment and one suburb in particular I'm studying, the average age is nine years old in the suburb. What does that tell you? There's uh, families flocking to that marketplace. Grassroots are being put into the ground. So my first tip is if you are analyzing a regional area, just work out whether the actual population statistics are factual or they're people trying before they buy or uh, are people actually starting families in these places. And of course, uh, I think one of the best ways to invest in regional is drivable places or drivable cities from major urban areas. So, you know, two hours drive is a great number. Um, and that's where you're getting, obviously, results from Geelong to uh, to Melbourne, etc. Uh, make sure it has an airport. Air travel is a big thing. And again, some of the best regional cities today offer great air travel. And I'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. Diversity of jobs, I'll come back and talk a little bit about what that looks like as well. But fundamentally, we want industry, right? We don't want a one-horse town. We don't want to buy in a place if the meatworks shuts down. Basically, everyone loses their job and one in three people are connected to the meatworks, right? It's not a smart place to invest. Uh, When it comes to jobs, not only industries, but are more jobs being created? Are there jobs for young people? See, if there isn't jobs for young people, the brain drain begins. And again, youth unemployment is a different metric to the unemployment figures. You can always tell if a marketplace or an economy is actually uh, really not offering diversity of jobs because youth unemployment will be very high. What this means is the talented young people coming through the system are going to leave that regional community to seek out a job in an area where they can find diversity of employment, the brain drain, are people moving, are people leaving? And of course, um, the other tip, which I talked about at the beginning of the show today, was the supply and demand metric. Now, right now you've got people coming in, which obviously creates a volatility of prices going up. But, you know, let's imagine a town, right? And it's its aggregate size is... Uh, 10,000 homes. And so there's 
you know, what's that? 25,000 people live there because 2.5 per household. Uh, then all of a sudden, uh, from those 10,000 homes, a land subdivision opens where there's 500 new properties created. You were talking about a large percentile of stock being coming to that township, uh, all through one cow paddock being rezoned and 400 approvals being created for houses. So that type of thing happens in Sydney and Melbourne every afternoon, right? Because of the scale and aggregate size, it does very little to disrupt the marketplace. But in a smaller marketplace, the disruption can actually uh, cause stagnation of growth for a very, very long period of time. Now, today, uh, a lot of people move to regional areas because it is visa-led. Um, it is easier to uh, become an Australian resident by going through regional visa programs. Uh, and it's very common for those people who go through those programs to flirt with those regional communities, knowing that they'll end up going back to much more populated urban areas where they're connected to their culture. And of course, this comes back to the diversity conversation. Some of our bigger areas are more diverse. Not only can you run down the street being a piece of toast, but you've got subcultures that exist. So, you know, in Sydney, there's lots of Vietnamese people, there's lots of Lebanese people, there's lots of Indian people, there's lots of different cultures. And of course, if you're going through the visa system and uh, you need to go regional and all of a sudden you uh, sort of miss the calling of home, you are not necessarily going to stay and populate that regional community. Eventually you'll move on. And we have seen this many times before, uh, an or almost a visa factory pipeline movement where people go regional uh, then they go to you know Adelaide and then from Adelaide they go to Brisbane and then it's it's kind of this workflow of the visa system obviously another tip would be to make sure uh, this place or city has really good infrastructure and also has future infrastructure programs which are going to enable those cities now I talked about uh, drivable places, which is important, but also I think if drivable places also offer air travel, it's a great bonus. I mean, look at Newcastle today. You can get a flight from Newcastle to Melbourne, Newcastle to Brisbane. Um, obviously, you don't need a flight to Sydney because it's so close and you've got the train anyway. Um, but the connectivity is important. And when we think about some of the, what we refer to as a market mover in real estate, uh, airport travel is a big signal of where people are moving to and a great way, a little tip to find future capital growth. And, you know, for example, the third biggest airport in New South Wales is Ballina. And it's easy to understand why. Northern New South Wales, between Byron and the Gold Coast is hot real estate. It is drivable to the Gold Coast. It's drivable to Brisbane and it's flyable to Sydney, um, which is amazing, right? And hence why a lot of uh, certainly small business owners and entrepreneurs like that place um, for a uh, 
for its its natural beauty. You can be a Netflixer there, but local is awesome. And again, you're mobile enough to move into um, the big smoke if you need to. You can see it working there, what I'm talking about. And uh, it's amazing, right? Like um, over... Uh, 538,000 annual uh, passengers a year out of Byron, um, which is amazing. And there's some even more crazy statistics. The Gold Coast, which is basically connected to Byron, you know, um, has now 6.6 million passengers per year coming and going. And of course, like I alluded to in the last episode, the Gold Coast has reinvented itself with now international travel into its regional airport and few other uh, places have done that as well. So you can um, go and look up regional airports that offer the experience of traveling internationally, which is fantastic, right? So obviously uh, there is the Zoom-a-boom, Zoom-boom, Zoom-a-boom. And uh, it's fair to say today people are looking to not only work from work, but also work from home. Again, coming back to my metric, does a town offer Netflix? Does it offer a good local dynamic? And are you commutable enough within reason to the fire economy or the office marketplace? Then I think you're going to do very, very well. If you're too disconnected and you go, well, I'm going to be a Zoomer and I'm going to live in, you know, off the beaten track, I don't think uh, from a long term perspective, that that's necessarily going to continue to be a thing. Remember, the great spatial transformation, albeit connected to digital transformation, is a millennial transformation. It is millennials who are now going through and they are past the peak of uh, basically looking for a place to bring up their kids. Then we're moving through the millennials into the next generation, which is Generation Z. They are not at the family formation stage. So um, because families can, can you know, try new work from home things, Zooming and the millennials are kind of coexisting at the moment, which is great. But again, I think it comes back to if I was a millennial and I was in a place where I couldn't connect, the flights don't work, they're cancelling flights. I, you know, there used to be, um, you know, three flights a day. Now there's one. I mean, these are not good signals. These are not good signals of what the economy is going to go through into the future. So just think behaviorally, right? We all want to watch Netflix at night and chill. We all want to go to a cracking local community and do things that is within five minutes from where we live. And all of us need to get out of Dodge because we go bananas being in the same suburb constantly. We need to go into the big smoke, the big town, the big city and rip it up. And uh, again, if your city offers that, that's a, that is so good. That is uh, what we would call a liquid regional market place. So guys, uh, I hope that kind of all made sense. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Just remember when it comes to regional areas, you want diversity of employment. You know, there are something like 19 subsections of employment. You know, you want good healthcare, good education, good retail, 
good uh, food, good construction level, infrastructure, you want public uh, works, you want good local government, you want professional services, manufacturing, financial services, administration. You need it all today because you don't want to bet your retirement on a weird place. Uh, I would be betting my retirement on major cities, global cities, new world cities, uh, capital cities, and feeder cities. This is where you want to bet your retirement. And of course, uh, certainly the odd major regional city obviously offers all that as well. For example, uh, the Byron effect and so forth. All right, folks, I'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.